Well, there's no problem. If you had a gun, shoot him in the head. Welcome back to Shoot Me Straight with Eddie Gallagher and Dave Fields. Today we have an awesome guest, Alex Bonamart. Or Bonamarte. Also good. If you want to get fancy with it. Um, he is the owner of Firecracker Farms. Um, if you have, I'm sure some of you have seen that uh, we've been, you know, I've been promoting that uh, hot salt that he makes, which is extremely addictive. Um, and yeah, I pretty much put it on everything. Uh, it's it's awesome. And I think it's, uh, the word is getting out of just how, how awesome it is. Um, but I met Alex in uh, Stewart, Florida at uh, Operation 300 event. Um, he was there taking part in that, um, supporting that nonprofit. And uh, we got to chatting it up there, um, became buddies. And now we're sort of working together with uh, the Firecracker Farms and trying to help that grow and get the word out just how awesome it is. But uh, I really appreciate you coming down here, Alex. And uh, this is your first time on the uh, 30A? That's right. It's first time. In, yeah. on the Gulf Coast at all. Nice. Yeah. What, do, what do you think so far? It's really cool. It, it feels beachy. I mean, obviously, that's the main draw. It's it's different from the part of Florida we live in. Yeah. And oh. I, I was surprised at how different it's hillier. It's, uh, it's cool. It's really pretty. We haven't been to the beach yet. So whole family came along, and uh, we're going to investigate the beach scene. When you say whole family, that means five kids, right? Yeah. I have six children, five with my wife, and um, all five are with us. Wow. Yeah, we figured do the drive, check it out, see what's up. Heck you yeah. Home. You homeschool too, don't you? That's right. Well, my wife does the <laughs> 99.9%. I do like the vocational sort of like introduce to other entrepreneur buddies and you know, learn about this and that and more hands-on stuff. And some, nice. Some computer stuff too. I want to delve into that for sure. Um, what ages are your kids? So Nico's our youngest and uh, he just turned three and Max is the oldest and he'll be 12. Wow! Wow! You wait. Did I just say twelve? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not true. It's ten. Ten. I just forget because wow. he carries himself like a twelve-year-old. So, Dang. yeah, you yeah, got you, y'all packed him. That we did the we. I have four, and we had two, four, six, eight. Okay. But man, packing them in that. That's that my close. wife. She, Jackie, is super powerful. Let's just. That's all I can say. <laughs> 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 I mean, she makes it look easy and. Um, that's, you know, we discussed children very, very early, like probably the first time we met. Really? Yeah. Not like, hey, will you have a bunch of kids with me? But it was Will like, you reproduce with me? I mean, yeah, I would have <laughs> said yes, but um, <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it was definitely not a surprise. Yep. Yeah. I just thought she was bluffing. You, when she said, hey, I, I want, want five kids. Oh. Boom, just like out of the gate. That was the number? Five. Wow. Yep. Nice. Yep. Well, well done. And uh, yeah, it's cool. What's so, the difference between four and five? Big difference? No. no. So, well, yeah, five is tougher. <laughs> Not for the parents. I think it's about three is when it. You know. Yeah. Was three. Three is. I feel like the number when all of a sudden you're like, okay, more children than arms. Yeah, and I feel like the know, difference between having four kids and five kids is the difference between having two kids and three kids. Like you, you have that. One out, so you have three of them now, yeah. and then if you, I guess if you had four, they paired up together at least. They and then, do that; they're, they're yeah. like a little club, and they do pair off. Uh, Max and Enzo are pretty close. I mean, you know, 
going to be 11, going to be nine. And, uh, you know, they're just right at that stage. They share a room. They want to share a room. Some, they're just inseparable. Whenever uh. they do anything with anybody, it's like they're a unit. Uh. And uh, they're very different, but they're very similar. So yeah. People confuse them for twins all the time. So there's that. And then um, Allie, our daughter's in the middle. And then there's Rafa and Nico. So Allie is um, very much a princess, but she's also like a you know, commando princess because she's Kelly's brother. So she's nice. She's uh, she's she can hang. Yeah, four boys, one girl. That's right. That's yeah. uh, she's gonna be a protected girl for sure. Yeah. Somebody once asked her, "Oh, do you like being them?" She's like, "I love it. They treat me wonderfully." I was like, "Okay, cool." But meanwhile, they fight all the time. So I don't know, but in a good way. You know, they're always testing the limits. Yeah. But you told me this morning we talked, and uh, yeah. yeah, they might fight amongst each other, but they're very protective of each other from any other outside influences. Yes. So that's the way you want it. It's neat. Yeah. I mean, they really look out for each other, you know. So so your grandparents, from what I read, was your grandparents came over from Italy? Yeah. On uh, So 18. on my dad's side, um, we have my dad's mom's family. They were from Sicily. My dad's dad's side Naples so um, I don't know if this is relevant but my my dad's father was the youngest of 26 wait what yeah 26 yeah siblings yes he was essentially raised by his older siblings and um, yeah his mother died in childbirth and he left home pretty young and um, you know met my grandma and then went off to war and came back they settled in Brooklyn um, where my grandmother had been raised, the Sicilian side, and um, they all lived together. My my grandmother, her sister, my aunt Jean, and um, my grandfather and my great uncle, and that's that's how they were brought up in Brooklyn. That has to all be family. close to like a world record. Yeah, the twenty. I don't know where all any of these people are. I don't know. I have no record of any cousins or anything. It just sort of like I know there are other Bonamarts or people who have you know a Bonamart in their family that I don't know. Just the numbers have to, I mean, unless some strange event happened on the East Coast. Uh, wow. You know, I don't know. I don't know. So that's the thing. Um, Start your own country. I mean, if you think about <laughs> 20, it. I mean, 26 siblings. Well, well, if you think my father then has five kids, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he, he's been married four times, right? So I don't know. People, I don't know how many other people got married and had kids, and, but presumably there are many people, uh, you know? Uh, I don't know. So every time I see somebody who I think looks a little familiar, I feel like a, I wonder. <laughs> I never ask, but. Wow. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Kind of cool. Fun fact. They moved to Brooklyn. So your grandparents moved to Brooklyn? Yeah. So, yeah, my grandmother uh, lived in pretty much the same house the whole time. It was one of the first houses on the street to have electricity, which is kind of tells you how old, you know. And um, that was it. Her father died very young. I think he may have been... Uh, uh, involved in who knows what. Can you uh, just move up a little oh, bit closer? Oh, sure, yeah, sure. You're good. And, uh, yeah, so he had a, a, a young death. And so it was essentially my grandmother and her mother and her sister and her brother, mm-hmm. Freddie. And uh, and then their husbands, you know, after Uncle Freddie moved out and got married after the war. And um, my grandfather and my great-uncle and my grandmother and great-aunt lived there. And that's where my grandmother had my father and my aunt and then that's that's how he grew up mm-hmm. and um i think you're bringing up my grandmother because she was a hot pepper person mm-hmm. and um 
that was sort of like an unknown thing. I didn't know that until I later lived in that house in Brooklyn when I moved to to the to New York, and um, it was uh, a surprise because I asked her if she had hot sauce one day, and I reached into the fridge and she said, "Oh yeah, I have this stuff in there." And I poured it all over my eggs the way she does. I took a bite, and my head almost blew up. It was like a scotch bonnet, like <laughs> super hot, like Jamaican thing that I couldn't believe. And I thought, this is no joke. She kind of snickered like a little, she was super low-key about everything. Yeah, it was <laughs> funny. My dad always liked it. And so, Do you think genetics plays a part in being able to, to take really hot sauces? Mm, no, I think it's um, familiarity, because if I eat really hot stuff now, and I hadn't for a while, I'd notice it. And certain peppers treat you differently, let's just say. Some stuff happens really quickly at the front of your mouth or, you know, in your nose almost or roof of your mouth. And other stuff just feels like you swallowed a coal, you know, and it doesn't go away. Yeah. It just stays. And then tomorrow you're like, why did I do that? You know. So, you know, they're not all equal. Even though they could be equally hot at the very onset, but they just behave differently. I don't know the chemistry behind it. But, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's not just capsaicin, I'm telling you. I think they measure, you know, Scoville counts and stuff. Oh, a million SHU, but, like, if it's from a cayenne pepper it didn't been concentrated, it's not going to do the same thing. It's, like, just a bite of a scorpion. Did you, and your dad, did he have a fascination with or, or like, a liking towards hot? Yes, he's a, he's a pepper lover as well. So when we were, I'm thinking, this is when he lived in Atlanta briefly, I remember finding him in the pantry. There was a little pantry, and he was in there in a bathrobe with a spoon and a bottle of sauce. I thought, what is this? What is this? He was kind of nuts. And I thought, that was crazy. He was just eating it for the thrill of the heat. Mm-hmm. And, and he's sort of like a pretty straight-laced guy for the most part. He's a lawyer. And um, I don't know what he was doing in there. Mm. It was weird. But I remember it. And then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> It must have been like 11 or something like that, or, you know, 10, 11. And then, you know, later on, he started growing them. You know, like, um, I think he was growing habaneros first, and that was pretty hot. I remember a time, you know, think back like 20 years ago, habanero was, if you were not of an ethnicity that ate hot pepper all the time, that would have been like off the charts hot. Now it's kind of like everywhere. Yeah. But it was, you know, real, they can get pretty hot, you know, compared to like a Tabasco you know, some people think Tabasco is hot, right? So, yeah, I mean, it's different yeah. strokes for different exactly. folks, man. Yeah, but I mean, if you I, if you eat one thing and you build <clears> up and you build up, eventually you develop a tolerance. I mean, it acts on the dopamine system. Oh, for sure. And so, what happens is your body says, "Oh, something's happening. Do this thing, recover from this." So you get that feeling of, you know, some people feel euphoric when they eat hot pepper. Other people just notice the heat. But there's definitely something that happens that relaxes you. It does a, a variety of different physiological things. And then, um, you know, eventually your body says, oh, I know what that, that's not, that's not, you know, you don't need that response. And so you need more. Your body says, oh, false alarm. This isn't really dangerous. Yeah. Yeah, I've noticed. So, I mean, I, I use the uh, hot salt on everything. Right. And I, I mean, to me, it's, it's not hot to me anymore. Like, right. I, it's just regular Salt and was it was it hot the first time? You know, and I I like I like hot stuff. I I put Tabasco or hot sauce on a lot of stuff, and I grew up, you know, obviously in Asia. Right. Most of my childhood, my dad really liked spicy Asian food. I mean, we'd go to restaurants, and he'd be like, "Hey, I want you know the ultimate 
spice and they'd be like, oh, one through 10, he's like 12, you know? And so I grew up eating hot stuff all the time. Um, So, yeah, I mean, when I tasted it, I mean, there's definitely that kick. I was like, oh, they're okay. That's an awesome. Um, But I've noticed, like, I've watched some other people taste it and they're like, oh, shit, like, that is hot. And I'm like, well, okay, yeah, I guess, you know, but then when I use the, uh, the liquid little drops, that's different. That right there yeah, is, that'll turn up the volume. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like that though, that you, you have the ability to add more heat to it if you, if you need to, or you just want to chill. I've been considering changing, you know, offering different strengths, but I don't know. I mean, at this stage, it's so early. We're just brand new and figuring it out. So I think, for the most part, the current strength is appropriate for just about everybody. And if somebody really wants it to be hotter, they say, hey, can you make me a hotter one? And my answer is, of course. How hot do you want it? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, so, yeah. and you grow them on a farm yeah. at your house. Yeah. So we have a property in, um, in Martin County, which is north of Palm Beach County. Okay. Uh, so you know where West Palm is. It's just 30 minutes about north of that. Okay. And it's we live in Palm City, which is where it gets the city i mean it's not a city it's i mean i don't say that in a disparaging way but like after having lived in new york that to me is what i think of like tall buildings and congestion yeah. so palm city's not that it's spread out it's everybody's got space and the area where we live it's it's called palm city farms but there aren't that many true it's not like a big agricultural production area but they're sort of larger uh, parcels of land some people have cattle some people have nurseries where they grow variety of different things but it's not like um like in the midwest where you have got like tracts of land and yeah. massive equipment farming it's nothing like that um i think there may be some orange groves nearby but not right where we are so we have a little area that we've sort of designated it's a shade structure because these things grow better um without getting too hot so i learned it's a little research and you yeah. started this just just because you loved doing well, it you didn't you know that i want to so my background is more um, commercial production, web development, mm-hmm. and things like that. And um, I had done e-commerce for people and been amazed at how, you know, how different it could be for different clients. So some clients would have these great big plans and really cool product, but zero reach. And then they would struggle and they would get off the ground eventually, but it was like a slog, you know, big grind for them. Yeah. Others would have like a, a <clears throat> mediocre product. And a poor plan, but tremendous reach, and they would be off the chart successful. Mm-hmm. It's a, a, a real uh, eye opener for me. So I thought, after a, a really successful um, promotion of a product for a client, I want to name him because sure. sure. I eventually sort of fired him as a client. But um, he uh, he had a product, and a TV personality promoted this product on a daytime morning show, and he they made millions of dollars in like literally every hour that it went from east coast to west coast and i thought oh my gosh this is possible I thought, okay one day i'll have a widget and i'll you know get it on the today show or whatever <laughs> you know like yeah big dreams but then you know i just shelved that idea but i had always wanted to have um make a brand make a thing um and make a product but i didn't want to just sell a, you know a thing mm-hmm. you know some random product i wanted to make something and have a relationship with it and the people who use it and, you know, we have more bespoke, kind of like a 
like the idea of making something for a person. Like well, you. it's something that you believe in. Yeah. Where I mean, instead of just making something like, eh, I hope this sells, uh, it's yeah. something that you invested your time in. Exactly. Yeah. I want to learn how to do it, you know. Um, you know, we're, we're, we touched on, I don't know if we were recording when we touched on homeschool, but, you know, I, I've always worked for myself, you know, since, I mean, I've been very entrepreneurial from a very, very, very young age. And, uh, you know, it's gotten more and more, useful to other people over, over the years, you know, early stuff was all about me. And then now later stuff's sort of broader. And, um, I wanted my kids to be able to learn how to make a thing mm-hmm. from, from an idea. So we really started it like with a napkin sketch at dinner. Like, what about this? I want to grow hot peppers. What do you guys think? You know, we could make a, a, a hot pepper company. That was pretty vague. You know, that's about as clear. And then, started thinking about names and branding and so they were part of the whole exercise you know Mm. that's really cool yeah Yeah. and i'd had that experience with jackie uh my wife with the studio you know i had the idea and i had the experience in the production space but she and i really went through the process of creating a brand creating a product creating a service and then building it from cold calls and who are you guys to the place and then you know exiting that business and it was, um, it's cool. And I wanted my kids to at least peripherally understand what that's like to not know what you're doing, figure it out, take your lumps, adjust, keep going, get up and do the thing that's like irritating sometimes and enjoy it because that's how it works. That's how you make it happen. Yeah. Like anything. I don't care if you're into fitness or martial arts or studying, whatever it is, you're going to take your take your lumps in the sense of like, you're going to have to face it at a time when you don't necessarily want to. Well, yeah, I mean, pain is growth, exactly. right? And, and that's really, the pain comes in all different forms, you know, obviously with working out, that's, you know, physical pain, but right. then starting a business, there's probably a lot of, uh, emotional, sure. you know, spiritual, um, all sorts of different types of pain. And when you feel that and that happens and you get through it, that's growth and that's yeah. how you move forward. I mean, I think I also wanted to expose them to the, I didn't really have a practical education, right? So I, didn't really, I had to figure it out uh, pretty much how to, how to do things, how to get, you know, how to find employment, how to be of service, all these things. And uh, it's nice to see. I mean, I think I want to provide the kids, and I, and I know Jackie does as well, with the ability to observe and participate in s- things that will develop skills for them, mm-hmm. not just – credentials yeah not just a degree not just yeah. a certificate but to actually yeah, like no first oh i saw how that happened and you know what that looked like and and the relationships that happened too because that's the <clears> main <throat> thing that's been most surprising about this is um it's very social mm-hmm. in the sense that i mean maybe because it has to do with food but i've had a, a lot of fun connecting with people like hey you want to try this you know or, or what do you think of that you know it's just it's been a blast and way more than I thought it would be. What's interesting with that is, so, like, I went, I, I got my undergrad in MIS, Management Information Systems, yeah. so basically business and computers. Right. Right, and then my graduate degree was in counseling. Oh. And then I started a software company, and you know which degree I use more? The counseling. Sure. Because it's people, right, and understanding people, being able, I learned how to listen and really listen to what's not being said as well. Yes. 
And I mean, if you want to have any business, you need some social skills are probably one of the top ones of it, especially with marketing and sales and the best products are the ones that, I mean, they almost sell themselves, but those relationships that you have are the things that open the doors. And I don't think a lot of kids get that in school these days. No, I mean, I don't really know, honestly, what the current state of school life is like. Um, you know, I have an older daughter in New York, and, you know, my impression is that the kids are compartmentalizing everything. Everything's planned, everything's scheduled. And then they're, so they're in this system and I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not even going to speak to what they're learning about and the kinds of agendas that there are in the schools now, because I don't agree with them. Um, you don't, you don't think that men can be women? <laughs> I think it's degrading to women first and foremost. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, it pisses me off. I mean, if you've ever, if you understand motherhood as a proxy, like a man, I don't think can ever, I'm sorry, men who feel like you can be a mom, you can't. Um, uh, you can be loving, you can be compassionate, you can be caring, you can have all these, you know, sort of typical skills and characteristics, but you cannot biologically be a mother. And there's something innately ferocious and powerful about women for their ability to do that. I mean, that's God-given ability, and I mean, that's... I don't know. I, I don't want to just upset anybody, but the reality is... That's the I, most transphobic I, answer I've ever heard. It, I don't <laughs> care what you, what you do with your... With your, your hey, whatever people decide to do with themselves that doesn't hurt other people is fine by me. You know, if you want to do things that harm you, I hope you don't, but that's your choice, right? Um, it's fine, dude. I think it's called complete bullshit. And it, I think it's all made up, and it's a it, land of it make believe. And I think that people think if they think you're, if you're a, a man that thinks he's a woman, or a woman thinks he's a man, you're mentally ill, and you need help. And that's about it. I, I mean, societally, though, we got this big. And nobody problem. wants to say that. Well, it it is true, and I think the big issue though is that society, for some reason, wants to normalize this stuff. And I don't know why kids need to be learning about transgender stuff why do kids need to know this stuff they don't let them be kids let them do what they need to do and then eventually they'll be out in the world and they'll meet people and maybe they'll encounter somebody who it's because the kids are easy to manipulate and they know they can't manipulate adults into it so they're going to attack our children and that's where we need to stand up as americans and stop tolerating this because that whole idea and just like you said i don't care what you do as long as it's not hurting me well now it is hurting me. Now it is right. hurting my family, and it has to stop. So. I guess that's a that's a, I mean taking a stand in that way. Yeah. I mean we voted with our feet in a sense. Um, you know we don't want to expose our kids to stuff that we think will harm them. You know I mean that's just the bottom line. Um, but I don't you know the stuff that they're facing these days between that and social media and I mean I don't know if you followed the stuff that Sean Ryan puts out, but one of the <coughs> recent episodes covered sort of the predatory activities that happen in virtually every online space. And that's terrifying. I mean, kids are pretty open and apparently they're targeted nonstop. Mm-hmm. And that was not, I mean, I suspected there was some of that going on, but the prevalence is just beyond. Um, so who knows kids that are attached to their phones 24 seven in the care of people who are not their parents all the time being indoctrinated. That's, t- I mean, who knows? So yeah, we're trying to provide the opposite of that. Good. <laughs> you know, just cause 
figured they'll be good people. They'll help other people as a result of that. You know, that was well, I think uh, these days you have to, and I like what you're doing, like the homeschooling, because, and that takes a lot. I mean, I we couldn't. There's no way I could do that. I mean, more. I mean, that's um, that's pretty amazing that you you guys are homeschooling well, really all jacky. of your. I have yeah. to give her well, because she's doing the. Yeah. She faces it every day. You know, when they sometimes it's not it's not easy. For but sure. that's what we have to do nowadays. I mean, I tell people <clears throat> the best you can do if you're sending your kids to public school, just like I do, is you instill your values and beliefs into them at home, and you make sure that they understand those values and beliefs. Yeah. And, you know, and let them know, like, hey, there's the outside world is going to try and challenge those values and beliefs and try and change them. And it's up to you to stick to them if you want to. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you can't force your kids, obviously, uh, to do what you want. And I think you'll we all learn that as our kids get older. Uh, eventually, you got to let them let them fly, leave the nest. But I truly believe if you grow up instilling your values and beliefs and what you believe, they'll even if they stray away, they'll come back. That's what you hope, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, that is the hope. Right? I mean, that's the toolkit. I'm thinking about the stuff that I learned from my father, the stuff that I learned from my mother, the stuff that I learned from my my stepdad, my ex-stepdad, and, you know, all the people who've been in my life, mentors, people, I've, you know, close friends. You take a lot from people you don't realize. And as you get older, you look back and like, why do I believe this? Or why do I have this? outlook or this ability or this skill or whatever it is usually there's somebody there there's a model yeah. even if you pick a, a role model that you never met you know and just sort of try to emulate what you think they might be like i mean that happens a lot um it's uh we have a big impact so it's kind of a it's a big responsibility it is you know what I like also, I like y'all, uh, I like you involving them in the entrepreneurship aspect of it's it. It's fun. Because honestly, like I think of, and we've talked about this on podcasts before, is, and not, me and Eddie have talked about it just personally, of just, man, we want to be, we want to be not just good dads, we want to be great fathers, right? Like that's one of, if if the end of my life, if they were like, hey, he was a great father, a great husband, a great father, like... You know, scratch everything else, but great husband, great father. Like, hey, those, like, I've fulfilled my primary roles here. Right. You know, and I think of with part of that is, yeah, I want them to know God. I want them to know the Lord. Can I force that? Nah, not really. (laughs) Can I demonstrate it? Can I, can they see me in my daily life? Like, lead by example. 100%. Yeah. But then, what else do I want? I mean, I want them to be prepared to live on their, like, support themselves, to have some idea of money management, to have skills, to be able to go out into the world and not be filthy, but just be able to be successful and to be happy. Right. So, like, a big part of that is, you know, giving them stuff that they don't necessarily learn in school, hopefully, in those experiences. One of my, my oldest ones, she's, I already see her in, in, in her. She's got that entrepreneurship. So, I mean, we started off early on just doing a lemonade stand. Cool. And just going, okay, here, and, and I'm like, I, I took it too far. I'm like, hey, I'm your, like, I'm going to give you seed capital. <laughs> she's like, what? <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, then going, hey, I get 30% of every uh, every lemonade you sell. And she's like, no, this is my money. <laughs> <I'm> like, right. <laughs> 
but but just seeing her get excited about it, understand. Early stage investors are entitled to a little bit more usually. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I'm like, hey, <laughs> but but I, I involving them in an actual business like that, man. There's no education like that. It's funny because I take the conversation. I mean, so with so many people around all the time, it's almost impossible to have uh, a conversation that isn't overheard, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Jackie and I are constantly discussing different things and, you know, I'll say, okay, so I'm thinking about ordering some, you know, X, Y, or Z and then we think we'll be able to do with it. And then what we put in all the logistics of these things that you don't really think about until you're in it. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that take your time. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's fun to do a design. It's fun to come up with a recipe. It's fun to talk about it sometimes, but the actual nitty gritty of like, okay, now we're committed. So what does that mean? That means I need more of it or I need to make the thing actually happen. Who's going to put it together? You know, and what are the rules? It's the execution of it. Right. Yeah. What are the regulations? Like all these different things. So these things come up in conversation and whether or not they're really directly involved, they're hearing it. And every once in a while they'll chime in with a question. What do you mean? And then they realize they're listening. Oh it, yeah. It's going in. And so I don't know, hopefully it helps them have a certain awareness of different aspects of things. I mean, they glaze mm-hmm. over with the tech stuff a lot. So I still, very actively involved in development projects and stuff, mm-hmm. but it's um, it's pretty cryptic to people who aren't in tech to talk about, you know, frameworks and this or that. Oh, it's sort of like, yeah. what does that even mean? And it doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's too abstract. So, yeah. but they do pick up on the relationship components very much. You know, there are certain certain clients that I consider really friends and even um, sort of role models. Like I aspire to to operate like them and so on some some levels that I've learned from them. And it's a really healthy relationship with pretty much every client that we have. And, um, you know, so I speak about them fondly. So I think my kids have this sense of, you know, oh, so-and-so, you know, I don't want to name names, but it's like, you know, they know about these people and they they think about them and every once in a while they ask questions. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting because it's, it's a certain kind of exposure that, um, I don't know, I don't think it's common but maybe, I don't know, maybe people, other family businesses have that sort of thing going on. I suppose if you have a, a family business and your kids are around and in it, they're going to learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just ours is weird because yeah. it's sort of decentralized and it's a bunch of different things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but you have the, see, when you have the tech, when you have the tech experience with it, of getting it out there, of <laughs> operating an e-commerce website, of uh, actually doing it for other clients and now doing it for yourself, which is... I'm sure you've experienced this is different when you're doing it for yourself. So it's harder. harder, significantly harder. It's, it's wild. Like I can take someone else, build them out, whatever they need. That's so much easier than when you're trying to do it for yourself. You're like, <laughs> so it's almost like a self portrait in a way. I mean, I don't know if yeah. this is going to sound kind of weird, but so I went, I w- I w- I'm an art school person, which is um, what I learned in art school is how to accept really vicious, mean criticism how to stand up for the thing you've done and articulate why you did it in the face of extreme criticism. And then how to, a few technical things about how to actually make stuff and how like messaging works and stuff like that. Um, wait, you said something that my mind is tangential. I can't, I got to remember where I was going with this because it was, it was relevant. Doing it for yourself. Doing it for yourself. So the first time I had to do self, you know, when you're in an art school, you do sort of art stuff and, Self-portrait is one of these things. And when you're doing that, you look at yourself. It's like, is that really what I look like? Is this really? I mean, you don't want to look at stuff. 
There's certain aspects. It's, it's very psychological. It has really nothing to do with actually making a, I mean, maybe some people, it's just making a likeness of themselves. But for me, it, it was really weird. It was very psychological. It was very um, introspective and uncomfortable and odd. And the, the next time that happened in my life was in markets. I was very interested in, in trading financial futures at one point. And when you're making very large bets and under duress as a result of, you know, the chemical fluctuation that happens, you realize, oh my gosh, if this goes wrong, I've, I've not made the right decision, I've taken too much risk. That feeling puts you in a, very much in that sort of like, there you are looking at yourself, and what does that mean? Like, have I, how have I made this bad decision? Or how have I put myself at this level of risk? And can I get away with it? And it's, it's very, mm. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, it was weird. Um, I don't know why I wanted to bring that yeah, up. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder how come. I mean, like, when, you, when you're doing something for yourself, right, versus doing it for others... I, and maybe it's something to do. You said psychologically. Yeah, it's like it's introspective in a weird way. Mm-hmm. You look in, you're like, who am I? What does it mean if I succeed? What does it mean if I fail? Mm-hmm. And then you could tell yourself all these stories about what it means. And I feel like yeah. any high risk, I mean, being an entrepreneur is risky. It's not like life or death risky, but um, it's ego life death in some, for some people, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I'm, you know? Some people are really tied up in whether or not to succeed. On some against some metric that they set, mm-hmm. you know, because you evaluate yourself by very <coughs> different standards than everybody else, mm-hmm. right? I'm guessing what people tell you about you versus what, what you think of yourself. Maybe they may not be aligned. Yes. Um, oh, yeah, that's always surprised me. Um, but I think as it relates to risk, risk kind of strips away. It puts you in that spot. Where you're like, okay, what am I? You know, here I am. If this is it, what am I? And yeah. uh, I've noticed that with physical risk as well, um, that, that that happens too. You're like in the zone, and then, you know, the lead up and the after, they're very similar to that. You know, like where, you know, Did you, you run into that a lot when you're working on the brain, just the braining side for y'all of going? Nah, well, a little bit. I've, I've, I have an attachment to the way I want it to be, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm kind of tied up in it in a way that, you know, like that's not me. Like I'm working with a fellow who I really respect, and I know uh, – He's he's got a lot of really really good ideas. Yeah, a, a lot of you know there are a lot of best practices that I'm aware of that I I kind of bristle against because they don't uh, necessarily always feel like the style that I want. But that's not necessarily what's best for the the effort. Mm-hmm. So is it a vanity thing or is it do I want the do I want the best results like a you know, the biggest reach, the most conversions. Mm-hmm. I, think I think there's a fine line. Right. Um, I, I think that, you know, the product is yours. Yeah. You've invested all the time into it. Yeah. And you have a certain expectation of how you want it to look and how people, how you want people to perceive it. Right. But at the same time, if you have some really smart individuals helping you out and they're throwing ideas at you, um, and as long as those people are able to like throw ideas, and you're like, no, that sucks, and they can just take that and be like, okay, and then come back with another one. But I, I do think because I've I've had the same issues as well, um, where people are like, no, this is what it is, and this is what we want you to sell it as, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that because that's not that's not who I am, right. and I think if you stick to that belief and stick to that, you know, stick to who you are and you'll be fine in the end. Um, I, I truly believe if you end up selling yourself out or being like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go that route just to make money, that is a very dangerous road to go down. I 100%. agree. I agree. I feel like if that was the objective, there are way easier ways to do that. 
Damn. Yeah. Like if I just want to make a thing that sells a thing and I make a message that appeals to the broadest audience and pick a thing that is likely to appeal to a very broad audience and just do that well because I can execute well. Start your own OnlyFans. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, hey kids! Oh wait, no, you can't be in this meeting. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah there is some some level. Eddie's right in that. Like when you're aligned, right? Like I, we've talked about it with just the podcast. Like, and we we'll, we would never sell something that isn't our like isn't us. Right. Like authenticity. When you're authentic in whatever it is that whatever company or business or, or product that you're selling, like when it's authentic, then the passion comes out. There's there's an alignment there. I feel like, but sometimes I was going to ask you this. Sometimes you can be too good at too many things, right? Like so, sometimes it's easier for someone to come in. They're like, hey, I don't know any web de- development. I know this. I know the product, and they just get a web development team to come in, they get a at branding team to come in and, you know, and they have other people that come in and do all those things. Instead, when you know how to do it, when you're good at it, it's like, Oh, I'm not going to go get a web development. I know how to right. build it out. I'm not going to get a branding. I know how to build that. And then pretty soon you're, you've spent, you know, months and months yeah. working on stuff that you could have just outsourced because you're an expert at those different things. You've found yourself in that where oh, it's like, oh, very, we could have moved very relatable. It. Like, for example, the, the development business, um, this applies also to the firecracker farm, but in, in, the, in the web and app development space, I could very much have scaled the business. Mm-hmm. There's demand for the stuff we do, and there are ways to do it. But I just am very reluctant to hand over a decision-making capacity to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it's not because I, maybe I have trust issues with everybody. I don't know, but it's like I've had been burned a couple times, way early on. I thought, I don't know. Part of me just wants to be involved. Mm-hmm. You know, the point isn't to just make money. Like if I just want to make money, I would go sit at a terminal and trade futures all day long. Mm-hmm. And um, but that's it's yeah. I oh. think there's more to it. There's some something about the challenge, something about the process of. It's your baby. It's not even that I have that, like, oh, I'm so proud of this thing. It's more of, like, the process of being involved and having a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, when I'm working, like, my favorite clients are really hard. Mm-hmm. You know, they have really high expectations. And it's, like, and they'll chew you out if it's not just exactly right because they know what you're capable of. And it's, like, that kind of client that's probably tough is the best. Because then you say, okay, you're right. I, I could have done, I could have thought of that. I could have... And then elevate, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's neat. And it, it's hard, but it's, that gives you a sense of purpose. So I, I don't know. <clears throat> With Firecracker Farms, like, is that different than being an agency that you're helping their oh, companies, yes. but now yeah. it's your company? Well, yeah, it's for us. I mean, we're doing this and we're doing it for a lot of different reasons. Like one, to learn how to, to grow stuff. I mean, I don't know about you, but the, the, Coming, having confirmation about how s- fragile society and supply chains are. I mean, I was kind of a tinfoil hat kind of guy who always figured we we're only a disaster away from realizing how fragile society is. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, COVID brought that to the forefront and just to see what a mess it was. And we got away. I mean, I think our country, considering how things got locked down and screwed with, it's, um, it's amazing things didn't get worse. 
Are you a doomsday prepper? I'm not a prepper, per se. I just think it's um, not in the sense that... Um, actually, I don't really know. <laughs> I'm qualified to degree. Do you have a bunker, no bunker with supplies? No bunker. I believe being... But you're prepared. Yes. There's a difference. Yes. Being a prepper and being prepared. I'm prepared and comfortable. I, I feel like I could sustain uh, a viable life for an extended period of time without the majority of the things that are normal. Like if electricity went, we'd be all right. If food supply went, we'd be okay for a while. You know, we're not at the mercy of like, oh, no, Publix is closed. We're going to starve to death. It's not going to happen. So, but we want to be able to grow our own food at a larger scale. So we don't know anything about that. Yeah, I would starve. I would starve to death. Yeah, no, I would. <laughs> I, I'm like a food person, so I mean, I I would probably eat a neighbor before. I'm just but it's I, I'm not. Uh, I think it's important to be. You're not a prepper. You're a pepper. I'm a pepper. I'm a pepper prepper. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, no that you know that's part one of the reasons why I, the hot salt. So I thought if if ever the food supply gets weird and you can't just get all the things, well, how, still have to eat, and still it should be all right. We could hot salt to work forever, yeah. and um, that was kind of a side thought. Yeah, not a primary. Makes everything <laughs> taste good too. It does, no matter what you're eating. That's the thing. So I don't know. We're on a big tangent, but yeah, I wanted to learn that. Jackie wanted to learn that. We have a couple other things other than peppers. You know, some pineapples and some avocados, and you know, just trying to learn how to grow stuff yeah reliably and it's it's cool i learned a lot about how little i knew mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of saying i learned a lot i mean i've learned probably a fragment of what's available to know i got a very small small amount and there's so much more and you know something as simple as you know you put the plant into dirt you add water and sun and it gets bigger okay right but there's so many nuances they always think of pests that come in and you know, too much water, not enough water at the right time. All these things are really make a difference in terms of how much actual consumable stuff grows on the plant, mm. right? So I can gr- the plant could live, but if I want a bunch of peppers, I have to do it a certain way, right? Mm. I didn't, I mean, I was naive. To, I mean, I guess it's probably obviously common sense to people who are in that space, but, you know, coming from like computers and cameras and that kind of thing to, like, dirt and waiting, you know, that's, that's a, a real personal challenge i'm not a patient person you know like if i want to get something done i'll just sit down and crank it out until it's done mm-hmm. and um you know with plants that's you can't it's, it's when it's where when it's ready that's what happens yeah. and there's no rushing it it's forced you to be learn patience it, it slowed me down a lot and i'm I've, there's been some commentary like when i go up to my office my office is upstairs and i go up and working and you know sit there for hours come down kind of <laughs> you know, like yeah. tight, and not not just like distracted. My brain's in this different mode. Yeah. When I go into the shade house around the farm side, I'm cutting things down and planting things and digging and moving. And I I'm told that I come into the house smiling and happy. So clearly, something rewarding about it. I'm not conscious of it, but it's very it's a it's a gratifying kind of work. It grounds you. I guess yeah, like literally. On the ground, touching living things, making them grow. It's cool. How was that transition from moving from New York to Florida? Did you find that that slowed you down some? Yes. I mean, the timing was such that things were already kind of surreal at that period in time throughout the entire country. We moved in 2020. Yep. 
and uh, where we lived in New York. So, you know, Jackie and I had lived together in in Lower Manhattan. We lived and worked in the studio that we had. So it was like a big loft, and we lived in part of it. And then uh, we eventually expanded, moved to a different location, lived in an apartment in a very busy kind of area in the middle of the city. And then um, after, so we had Max and Enzo, and then we realized we needed to have more space to continue having the number of children, you know? And um, so we moved up to Westchester and continued working in the city. And um, at that time, where we, the city we, we moved was the first one to get locked down during COVID. So we were in this area that, I guess there was a community within our area where the first cases of COVID had appeared and they sent the National Guard and they kind of discouraged everybody from leaving and it was really weird. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, this isn't cool. And then, you know, I don't know. So that was a surreal period in time. And then, of course, there was the shutdown and everything else that happened after that. And if you had guards saying, hey, we think you need to get back upstairs. Or, it, I didn't know. see any, uh, They were hosing down buildings. It was like, I don't know if it was just for media. I don't know why. But they were like, there were camera crews and people hosing off buildings and just like as if, I don't know, it was just surreal. I, I don't mm. remember the beginning of what it was like. It was just <coughs> weird. And, um, you know, I didn't have to go out. My computer worked. Just glued to the screen, watching markets basically. And then, um, we could just this is crazy, it's chaos. And then, um, you know, we had toyed with the idea of relocating, and I, w- I was pretty reluctant because of my daughter, and it's in New York. Um, and you know, the fear that, like, what if we move, like, I'll disappear from the face of the earth. You know, like, I didn't know anything about Florida other than that I'd visit my my mother in law, and uh, you know, it was nice. Felt like vacation, but I didn't anticipate how I would be able to like you know live and work here. So, to your question, what was it like? It, it was wonderful. Is what it was like. Yeah, it was like realizing, wait a minute, there are people with. I mean, I don't know if all of Florida is like this, but Martin County most certainly is a very wholesome place. Yeah, where people are genuinely nice. Mm-hmm. If they're polite, it's because they are genuinely polite i know it's weird they are genuinely considerate they're generous they're interested and they have purpose and their purpose is to be good people it's like wow (laughs) what you know i mean i think they're good people everywhere but they're so caught up in all the stuff that they have to do just to get by well they're in the rat race yeah and that's yeah i felt i I felt the same way moving from san diego out here really Uh, san diego huh oh yeah i mean it's Everything's very fast-paced. I mean, people aren't really very neighborly out there. Um, you know, I lived there for 15 years. Uh, and coming out here the first time when we, we moved out here, we drove across, you know, country and pulled up in our street and uh, started moving in. Didn't know anybody. And literally our neighbors are coming out of the woodwork. Hey, do you need help? Oh, here's you want a case of beer? Or like wow. they brought over uh, food and it's it sucks because my first reaction was like, "What do you want? Do you want? <laughs> yeah. Like, thing. what are you trying to get out of me and leave me alone?" But then eventually, you, you know, you start realizing like, "Oh no, there are people like this that are actually genuinely nice, genuinely neighborly, and uh, the problem is me." So you you have to adapt, and then you're like, "Dude, this place is awesome," um, and I've adapted, and and it slowed life down as well, yeah. um, big time. It's cool. The things that matter have really percolated up. I mean, I've 
really had a transformative experience in Florida. It's like everything about my outlook has just, I felt like just opened up as mm-hmm. a writer. And, you know, I've always been optimistic in general and sort of not risk averse when it comes to just trying stuff and going for it. But um, this is different. It's a, there's a certain purpose and optimism and kindness built in now that's like, it's nice. I yeah. Like it. Mm. And um, it changes the whole family too. It's really cool. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I sound like a sales pitch whenever I talk to anybody. Like, this is the greatest place. People are so cool. They're so nice. It's so much fun. That's another thing. It's fun. Like, I was so, um, I don't know. Like, I think everybody in New York is sort of worried about deviating from the right way. Not in a, not in a, like a keep up with the Joneses kind of way, but if you're having too much fun, you must be dumb or something. Like, that's like, it's weird. I can't really, it's a sort of condescension built in, sort of arrogance, I guess. I don't know. That's the least way I feel about it. And um, Like you have to work, like you have to yeah, be working it's, it's always. it's all serious, and it better be cool enough. It better be good enough, you know. It's like, if you screw up, you're out, you know. Whereas in, in, I don't feel like people are worried about what they're saying because they're saying what's true. And they're not worried about what they're doing because they're having a good time and they're good-hearted, you know. It's just like everything about it is nice. Um. I don't know. It, culturally, it's different, and it's it's nice. I yeah, like it. I like it a lot. Your family like it a lot. Oh, we love it. We love it. See a big change in your kids, your wife. Yeah, I mean, where we lived before was good. School was good. Um, friends were nice, you know, but um, they're living a good life. They're outside a lot. They're comfortable talking to cool people. I mean, the people I meet. And, you know, that the Jackie meets, the people we encounter, the other families we've met. I've met a lot of homeschool families because that's the sort of thing you do uh, when, you, when you're homeschooling. You reach out to other homeschool families, and there are various different groups where you can connect. Because otherwise it's sort of a, I wouldn't say it's like a lonely proposition, but it's good to know what other people are doing and to have access to other other families so that your kids can meet. And yeah, so your kids, I mean, that's I think that was like, a big concern um, for people, you know, for homeschooling is they are like, well, then my kids aren't going to have any social skills and because you want them to be around different types of individuals, which I completely agree with. But uh, that, what you're saying, like, you, you end up meeting up with other families at homeschool and then you link up your kids together so they do yeah. have that social uh And you have a aspect. certain awareness of who these people are. I mean, I can tell you that... Uh, the friends I selected, um, they weren't great, always. And my parents had no idea, you know, mm-hmm. what I was up to in school or around the, that time period. It was just sort of like they weren't there. They didn't. It's impossible. It was invisible. Yeah. And um, I don't fault them for it. It's just the way it is. And that's still the case in, in a lot of ways. So it's I'm, – I'm painting it like a helicopter parenting picture, but that's not at all what it is. It's sort of like – we can get a sense of what these people are like. You know, if my, if my kids are befriending people, I know who their, I, I kind of know who their parents are. I know what their beliefs are like. I know what their values are like. I see how they interact. I see the level of respect they have for each other. And I say, okay, cool. That's congruent. That's, you know, a good person. Yeah. Happy to have my kids share time with these people. That's cool. Um, so it's like an, it's a, it's a bonus, you know, it's a bonus. Uh, I was really afraid 
about the social thing. I was always sort of like a felt out of place as a kid, and I was really worried that my kids would not be able to integrate into groups and um, interact with the kids. And you know, I was really nervous about that. Does turns out that's not the case. They're very social, so they go into a group of complete strangers, and they'll they're at ease. Do you have them in sports at all? Yeah, they did some soccer, mm-hmm. and you know they're expressing some interest in martial arts now. <coughs> nice. You know, I'm thinking maybe jiu-jitsu would be yeah, cool. There you go. There you know, you I go. did taekwondo, and I'm not saying that that's the way they should go, but they seem interested in that because I had some experience there. But if I were to start from scratch from years ago, jiu-jitsu probably would be the way I'd go. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think you get your kid into any martial arts, like karate, jiu-jitsu. It doesn't at that, at that point in their age when they're young, you know, I think it – the first and foremost thing is going to teach them is discipline, and that's I think what kids really need. Um, but then, yeah, if you want a, a more practical martial art where they can use to defend themselves and yeah. be comfortable if they do get in a confrontation, I would just jujitsu is definitely one of the top five, I believe. Yeah, or re- like, jujitsu wrestling, wrestling, wrestling at a young for age. Sure. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one. You neutralize the threat or get away. You know, you Two choices, right? If you can't get away. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. just build that confidence in them yeah. Yeah. so they know, like, if something does happen, I don't have to be scared. I sort of know how to take care of myself and right. have that. And that's what I think uh, is lacking in a lot of these kids is the self-confidence um, and in adults, too. Right. Um, you know, that, well, if something does happen, I don't – I'm gonna, and you can see it on these, you know, videos that are posted or whatever, like when – when there's an incident that happens and someone should jump in and do the right thing, nobody is. They're just filming it. It's so weird. It's because people are scared and they don't have the confidence to stand up and do the right thing because they're not properly trained. Right. What if maybe they're afraid they're going to get railroaded by the system too? Well, that too, as we can it's see crazy. going on with that. Yeah, Marine I mean, veteran in uh, New York. I mean, I don't know the whole story, but the, the media has already convicted the guy. You know, that's the problem. Nobody knows. It's the guy on the subway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm inclined to believe he did the right thing. I don't. He I don't, did do the right thing. You know. I I truly believe he did as well. And but this is what happens when a city demonizes this police force and makes them out to be public enemy number one. And then the police are scared to do anything because they're going to get crucified. Which I don't blame them with the way that they've been treated over the past right, couple years. Crazy. So then now. When you have citizens that are like, okay, I'm going to step in and do the right thing, and they're condemning them as well. Um, you know, it's a... There's a, a very strange double standard that's happening. It's just, I, I know everybody sees it. And do they? Yeah, and some people talk about it. And I don't think it can last much longer, honestly, because it's falling apart. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in... This is the process of it falling apart. And I think it's... It's definitely by design. And I keep coming to the question, like, why? Who benefits by the collapse of American values and society? It's also in Europe, too. It's not just here. Yeah, It's like, who benefits? Who benefits and why? Mm-hmm. And, it, and I wonder, because I always, you know, it's sort of like a, an aerial, you know, bombardment view, like, what's going on? Like, why? Why is this happening? Like, we, I mean, I know the, the nuts and bolts of, like, because there are people have been elected and then they're sort of put into positions of power by people who have an interest, but why? You know, I just, I just, uh, that's, I struggle with that. Yeah. I struggle. I think a lot of people do. It's like, because they must know that 
there's an expense and it's life. You know, people are suffering as a result. Yeah. And I do think, you know, I, and I, I'm stuck on that as well. Like why, what, what is the purpose of this yeah. of uh, tearing away the fabric of what makes this country great? And, you know, you can sit there and spend hours thinking about it and trying to come up with a conclusion. But at the end of the day, um, I don't think we'll, we'll ever know like who is actually making these calls and who's sorting out this plan. But what you can do is take care of what you can control, which is your family and, you know, making sure they're good to go and also standing up and fighting for what you truly believe in and having a voice, you know, and I think that's what's going to keep our country the way that we were raised in it. You know what I mean? Um, With the same values or, hopefully the same values uh, that we were raised up with. So it just takes Americans to stand up and say something yeah. and do something. Yeah, I feel like there's a a lot more people than would be apparent by looking at media yeah. sources are on the same page. I believe so as well. And it's just because of the control of those outlets and the dissemination of information is just pretty well handled by a very small number of individuals and organizations so it's like, how do you find out? You, you can only meet physically meet so many people in your in your time. Yeah. You can get that broadcast information hitting you all the time. So it's it's interesting. It's an interesting time to be looking at it from like a, how how propaganda works. I mean, we're, we're living in it. I feel like a lot more patriots are are getting putting media out there though. Yes. Do you, have are you on Twitter? I used to do a little bit of what they call FinTwit. I would follow the financial people who have sort of opined on like how things are moving, mm-hmm. um, but not much. I'll tell you this. I've noticed huge difference in Twitter. Post-Musk? Post-Musk. Yeah. 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 He's got some, I don't know <clears throat> what his agenda is, but it's pretty interesting to see what a shakeup he creates wherever he goes, huh? i tell you what, though. I Like, pre, pre-Musk, you would just see... Um, you just see liberal liberal posts that were like highly liked, and you're like looking at comments, and it's like all the liked ones are at the top, and then and then post Musk, it's like you get a true. It seems, I don't know, but it seems like you're getting a true representation on stuff, and then you're looking at like, and you're like, wait a minute, there's a lot more conservative stuff right out here. I mean, you still, I still, you still see both sides, but you're just—I I feel like it's a true, starting to be a true representation. Yeah, that's cool. I have to revisit. That's I pretty well. Never been on Twitter. Really? <laughs> no. It's weird. I mean, all these apps are so different in the way they're set up. Twitter doesn't seem to be as um, actively engaged in trying to guide you as, say, Instagram. Instagram is, I use it only because I feel like it's a business necessity. Mm-hmm. And it's a fun venue. Sometimes it's fun. And I've mm-hmm. oddly connected with cool people, which surprised me. I think that could be possible. Mm-hmm. My my view going in, you know, a few months ago into now, very different about who's present because I've met some cool people. But that said, the app itself is absolutely designed to steer you in circles. And it's crazy. Like, you push one thing, and then you get a one result. And then you push another thing, you think it's the same thing, and you get another result. From a user interface standpoint, it's designed to keep you there. Yeah. And while you're there, they're going to keep suggesting stuff and gauge how you respond to 
figure out whether they should amplify you or not. And it's, uh, there's no doubt that it's a curated messaging. Well, yeah, you, I mean, all you got to do is watch The Social Dilemma. That uh, Have you seen that? I'm aware of it. I haven't watched oh, it through and through. But I've you need to watch that. Yeah. I mean, that's they guide it. Yeah. pretty much explains exactly yeah. what it does and how it manipulates and how it keeps you in that echo chamber. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't, and I've never been on Twitter either. Like, so I'm, I can't, I don't know if that they do the same thing. Um, they did. Yeah. But you could filter it a little bit more easily. You know, you could, you could restrict what you got and just say, okay, I'm only interested in hearing when this guy says something. It's usually useful. You know, I was using it like a utility, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, uh, yeah. but not for entertainment. You know, I think that, um, I mean, that, that's maybe giving my, myself a little bit too much credit. Maybe it was like partially entertaining, but um, mostly as a utility. And um, I don't know. I, re- I remember, I mean, it was clearly being censored at one point early on. In January, there was a lot of activity about stuff that was going on in Wuhan that was would be considered conspiracy stuff now. or I mean, it was immediately considered after the fact, and then it was vanishing, like st- accounts, posts, stuff. And I was screen grabbing stuff and sending it to my dad, who's overseas, and, you know, telling him, you're going to get locked up. It's only a matter of time. And he's like, you're crazy. And, like, lo and behold, Italy went first, and then France, and then I was like, we're two weeks away. I was pretty sure we were going to get it, too. And I told everybody, like, you're nuts. And then, okay. But that was all Twitter was, like, the window onto that. And it was only because I was looking at odd hours at non-well-known accounts, and they were vanishing. Yeah. I was like, that's it. So it's weird. Weird. So th- those types of platforms... Um, I don't know. Are we under the impression that it's now opened up with Musk? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'll tell you what, it's a different experience. Yeah. For, for me, and I wasn't a huge Twitter user, but I was m- more Twitter than anything else. Right. Like, never had Instagram until we started this podcast. Exactly. Same sort of thing. But, like, uh, when, you, when you go on Twitter now, I mean, you not only do you get trending trending results, but you can see them in different categories. You're able to, it it seems so much more of just, hey, this is exactly the representation of, like, what what you're looking for. What it looks like right now. Yeah, and I've I've seen, and I've seen proactive stuff that's like, hey, on both sides, where there'll be an article that's just zooming up. It won't be taken off like it used to, but... but it will give some context of it and saying, hey, we're not sure if this is true or not. Here's some context, but the art, but the post will stay there. The tweets will stay there. Interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, that, that whole framework of like, I remember what the, the set of regulations it covers, the, the liability of a news organization for publishing stuff versus... Uh, you know, sort of these open forums, like, it's, it's interesting, like, I don't know how I feel about any sort of editing or censorship, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not really in favor of it, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, that's, I just feel like people should be able to say whatever they want, mm-hmm. um, they shouldn't force people to listen, <laughs> that's, the, that's where I draw the line, you can't force people mm-hmm. to listen, but I feel like there's a, no, it's your choice if you want to listen, I mean, yeah. that's how it is now, you can literally, and that's what I, I don't like any social media, really, and I'm on it. Yeah. I use it, but I, I truly believe it's going to be the downfall of our society or part of it. Um, I, I think if people are even 
you know, and I include myself in this category where people look up to people on social media or like the influencers. And I think that's pathetic. I think that if you're looking towards a person to look up to, that is a human being and they're imperfect. And the fact that people elevate these individuals and they're like, Oh, you know, um, you know, there is inspirational stuff that is put out, but at the end of the day, I'm like, these, these are human beings just like you and me that are selling something. And at the same time, the uh, Instagram, Twitter is also run by human beings who are imperfect. So the fact that people are putting so much emphasis on social media and like, oh, did you see what this person said? Or did you see this? It's like, dude, I mean, my own opinion, I'm like, I don't care. Right. I don't. That's their opinion. And I have my own. I can think for myself. I don't need to follow somebody. I don't need to listen to somebody to tell me what to think. Um, I'll think on my own. And I think that's part of the problem is this social media is just like with the regular media, it's causing people not to think on their own or do any critical thinking on their own. They're just going to follow who they think is the next big thing. And yes, whether right. whether they're putting out the right or wrong information. It's like a crutch. Yeah. It's like, oh, I don't have to because so-and-so says they look cool. You know. Yeah. And I think that it's yeah, it's, it's not a good thing. It's risky. Mm-hmm. But there, are, there are, I mean, so I, I agree, but then there's good parts of it. Like you've... Eddie was at a, a thing the other day, and, and after some kid that was going to commit suicide came up to him and said, hey, by listening to you. That was on a, yeah, a podcast. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so. But that's, I think podcasts fall into a different category. I know, think a podcast, you can't, <clears throat> you can't fake who you are, and you can't, I mean, you, you can try to, but on a long-form podcast, on a conversation, if you come into it with an agenda and you're actually having that conversation with somebody for three hours, that agenda is going to be exposed right. at some some point during that conversation if somebody's actually listening, right? And that's where I do think podcasts are, which is crazy, the most the beneficial platform to listen to if you want to get the truth out of something. You know what I mean? And besides listening to regular media where people go on there and they have three minutes to say what they want while also – fighting the actual people interviewing them, trying to inflict their agenda and like, oh, no, 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 you know, only asking certain questions to get their points out. You know what I mean? So, Shouting that. It's yeah, horrible. It's, it's, uh, it's gross. And, I mean, I went through it uh, when I was going through my thing. And, you know, you'd go on Fox and, you know, they, they had me on and then they're like, which I was grateful for to be able to put out the information that was happening to us. But at the same time when you went on, they had an agenda as well. And they only ask you pointed questions because that's they have an agenda to fill to give to their audience. Yeah. And so, therefore, you're not actually getting the whole truth. You're just getting what Fox wants to put out or what CNN wants to put out. And therefore, you're not getting the full, the full fa- all the facts, all the truth. And you're creating this echo chamber of people that just want to get the one-minute clip and be like, okay, I've made my decision. You know what I mean? I do. It's funny. To, to what you're just talking about, the agendas and things. Forget politics, forget anything like that, even preceding the, the, the era of yelling hosts and big division between the, the parties and everything. Just going back even you know 15 years, I was shocked at how much of what you see on these sort of talk shows is sort of not scripted, but it's essentially very planned and it's promotional. kind. It's not news. Mm. There's a PR person pitching this particular point of view 
this particular agenda, and whether it's a product or you know, policy or whatever it is. And then they talk about it like, you know, as if they're having a conversation and, you know, mm. and it's like, wait a minute, that's not news. That didn't just happen to be a newsworthy thing. That was pushed. There was a deal made. There was, and I, I you know, working in media a little bit, I, I saw that happening. I'm like, wow, what else is like that? It just sort of made me feel like a peek behind the curtain a little bit. And yeah. uh, it's, it's pretty surprising, like how much of what you see everywhere isn't, as it appears. I mean, from, you know, everybody knows that like the swimsuit model isn't as perfect in the, in real life. And, you know, you know, all the way on to like the, the food in the photograph at the, you know, isn't, yeah. as, isn't as juicy, you know, it's like, there's always an agenda in, in big media. Oh, apologize for that. Yep. I thought I had silenced this. Wow. What a ringtone. That is. I wanted it to be audible <laughs> and unique. I had the, the old school telephone ring, but somebody else had that. And, I have like a sort of Pavlovian sort of ring, you know. <laughs> my wife's like, "Why you freak out every time the phone rings?" Like, because it's usually server related, and uh, something happened. And so, in this case, it was not. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a good ring. If you've never heard it before, then it's working. <laughs> <laughs> Cuts through. I imagine a bunch does. of kids talking at the same time. That I can still hear it. Well, f- fifteen years ago or so, I feel like you could have a conversation with someone, and there would be respect between the two too right. and and you'd be able to listen to someone else that had a completely different view and at least respect them i think of well i think of uh, us and our like i'll have i'll have just about whoever on right they can have all sorts of different views i'll listen i'll really i'll challenge if i don't believe it if i, I i'll listen to their response right like there'll be a respect there and and we'll want one want respect back, right? But be able to listen and have a con- like. I don't feel like you can even have conversation. It's like me trying to ex- tell you my point of view and get you to. Well, it's the ability to agree to disagree that's lost, right? We you can have a completely different outlook on something than I do, and it's we can have a conversation about it. And at the end of the day, I don't dislike you. You don't dislike me. We just agree to disagree and move on. We all don't have to be on the same page about everything. And I think that's where people get lost or like, well, you have to, you know, X, Y, Z, believe all these things in order to be in my group, you know, and well, then I guess I'm going to be part of your group. And I don't feel like I can stand up for my beliefs. Like I made this statement at the beginning of the podcast. I think the whole transgender thing is BS. And I know people are going to be, oh, I can't believe he said that. I don't care. It's that's my belief. Right. And I'm allowed to say that. Does that mean I hate you because you think of a diff- think differently? No, I don't hate you, at all. I I love everybody as human beings, but I'm not. That does not mean I cannot say what I believe. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I've been trying to get Eddie to get into my group for a while if he believed these things, but he won't do it. Well. Dave, Dave's transgender. Group. <laughs> <laughs> My kids have a lot to say about this. They think it's really funny, like they think it's a like comical. They don't, you know, they ha- they don't really have direct exposure to any, you know, trans people or too much, you know, mainstream stuff about it. But you know, this whole what do you identify as thing? Yeah, is they li- they think it's funny. Like, what do you mean? What do you identify? I identify as a uh, so this or that. And they joke about it because they think it's like you are what you are. It's yeah. okay. Yeah. How you present is up to you, but you are what you are. Yeah. Like you're either a boy or a girl. You are what you are. 
You know? Like, yeah. You know? It's okay. It is what it is. And um, I don't know. It's just, it could be that comical. I don't know why we're spending so much time worrying about it. Because unless people are being actively persecuted for their beliefs, like. But they are. That's the thing. It's happening. What do you mean? People are being persecuted for their beliefs. I mean, you, are, I mean, yeah, people who believe that it's okay to just be what you are are being persecuted. So, like somebody who's like, you know, I don't believe in, in that, you know, that uh, trans should be a thing, or yeah, or, you'll get canceled. That's right. a way of being persecuted. Right. You'll get your business shut down. That's a way of being persecuted. Right. Um, that's that's been happening. You that's know what crazy. I mean? And that's where I believe that this whole, you know. I don't care what you do as long as it doesn't affect me. Well, then now it is affecting me because I don't believe the same thing that you do. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think this whole, you know, tolerance and all that gets mixed mashed. You know, it's like, okay, I, I want to be tolerant. I want to be live and let live. But the pendulum has swung so far now that the second I speak up for my own values and beliefs, I can get canceled. If I, you can put something on you know, back to social media. You can post something on social media that does not go along with the um, agenda, that the societal agenda, and your account will get shut down because human beings are working in the background being like, nope, that we, we don't agree with, and therefore your business is shut down, your account, and that's how a lot of people make money too is off social media. So th- those are different ways of being persecuted. Wow. And then now we have, you know, in the military, we're, uh, you know, our foundation is supporting uh, Lance Corporal Catherine Arnett, who was just thrown in prison, um, military prison, because she stood up and said, I don't want to take the vaccine for my religious beliefs. And they threw her away and tried to hide it. And so, I mean, these things are happening. It's just they don't get reported. They're 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 not, just, you know, the media is not going to report that. Right. So. Cause it doesn't fit the inclusive. I mean, I, this whole idea of the, the, the words have been perverted basically they've been corrupted inclusivity doesn't mean if you can't have an opinion that's different then it's not inclusive right yeah if you can't be free to uh, to live by your standards you're not really free you know i hear the word fascism thrown around predominantly by the left right you hear that Mm -hmm. word fascist this and that but that is fascism like this orderly forced belief system and and it's that's not uh that's not freedom yeah. That's not inclusivity. Mm-hmm. That's not equality. You know, equity is not taking from you to give to him. That's not, that's theft. You know, like it's, it's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that just blows me away. And I, uh, I don't know, you're, what you're saying is kind of opening my eyes. I can't just have this sort of laissez faire, like, ah, well, I'm not doing it to anybody. So therefore, I'm good. It's okay. I'll just pretend it's not happening. Maybe that's, maybe that's a cowardly outlook i don't think it's a cowardly outlook i think that's like the outlook and i had the same outlook you know i'm like hey man you live and let live i you want to be the way that you are great you know that's that's the beauty of living in america but at the same time when i start seeing those beliefs that i don't agree with infiltrating our school systems um and then you know they've already infiltrated the media you can't turn on the tv now without you know seeing certain things that you don't agree with which, you know, it's your choice. It's like, hey, then I just won't watch the right. TV. And that's what we do in our household. Yeah. But the fact that I can't send my kids to school without worrying about this agenda being pushed on them. And then, you know, that, that just goes on further to where these kids go to college. That's It's being shoved down their throat in college. And they're being brainwashed. 
Um, I truly believe so. So therefore, you are affecting me. You're affecting my family. Right. Right. And that's where I draw the line. I'm like, well, then when is it when is it too far? You know what I mean? And I think people do need to stand up and have a voice and speak out and be like, we do not agree with this. And when I say stand up and speak out, I'm not saying doing it in a violent or hateful way to be like, you know, I hate these people. They shouldn't be doing this. But it's like you can stand up and say, I don't agree with this. And therefore, I want certain things to change, you know, in my area or, you know, and solve it yourself. Right. Um, you demand the same level of respect that everybody else. Is but I think people are scared to stand up and say those type. And even they're not even hateful things, but people are scared to stand up and say those things because they will get persecuted. They'll get canceled. They'll get fired. I mean, that that also affects your livelihood as well. So just right. by saying you don't agree, yes, not not yeah, that's targeting. Me, that's just mind blowing, and I must live in a weird bubble because we do live in a bubble here in Florida, and yeah. I'll, I'll that that's the thing. We we really don't have to deal with too much of that. Um, yeah, I've seen trickle, like, I've seen little trickle effects here and there, but um, you go travel, you know, across the country, and people. I mean, take California for example, right? Everyone especially here is like, Oh, California, like they're completely liberal and this and that they're not, there's major pockets of conservatives that live there that are having to keep their mouths shut because yeah, they'll get ruined if they speak up. That's right. Rough. And that should not be happening in any state in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like my kids don't even barely know what, but they don't know what COVID is at all. Like really like they, they didn't, Right. It didn't affect them hardly at all. They didn't, they didn't know this pandemic. What does that mean? <laughs> like, like they grew up because they grew up through it here. Right. It was different here for sure. But I'll, I'll give an example of like where, because I'll I'll genuinely take more towards your side where I'll go okay, and I'll try and think through it intellectually. And I'll try and like okay, like how okay, how come? Look from yeah. their perspective. I try and be like. Reason empathy, you know, like why? But then I take my kids to go see a Disney movie. Ah, yes, this is more contention for me too. And at this movie, right, uh, there is a boy, young boy, um, like I mean, my kid's age, like under ten, and he's talking about being attracted to another boy. And the dad is talking about them being in a relationship together. I mean, in in this isn't new stuff. Like it's been, but it's been covert, right? Like you can see it being covert in other Disney movies before this. Right. The latest one, man, was overt. Was I mean to the fact my my kids are going, why is they talking about dating? That's they're both boys, right? You know, and that's being pushed on my. I'm like. Okay. It's because they're trying to, that's the way they normalize it. They get kids, especially your kid's age, how young mm-hmm. they are, to be like, oh, that's normal now. Um, so that's how they grow up, thinking that's normal. But then the, you know, and you don't, might not agree with it, right? I You're don't. Like, yeah, exactly. And that's that's your belief to not agree with that. And that's where I say you have to take control of what you can, which is your household. So yes. then if Disney's going to sit there and try and manipulate kids by putting these hidden messages and cartoons and movies, then it's on you as a parent to be like, we are no longer going to watch Disney. We are done. Like that's, that's it. And that's where you have to vote with your dollar as well. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if certain companies or certain uh, corporations are 
and you know pushing that agenda, then don't buy from them. Right. But it's harder to, to, to. It's hard. It's easier. It's easier said than done. Well, it, the deal is like I can't take that position of. Well, this is where I land today, right? Like, in and it's getting more and more where I'm like, okay, making having to make lots of conscious decisions where I'm like, okay, well, we're not paying for the Disney app anymore. We're not paying for, like, I'm not going to give them any money. Like, I'm not. But also, I'm going to say it on a podcast because probably other people agree with it. You know, it's like, what steps can I take to help, like, that agenda being, I'm one measly person, you know. But, like, if a lot of people did that, and it could be effective. I mean, that's how I see, and I and I, I mean, honestly take, think it's coming. That trend is is starting to happen. I mean, Bud Light's a perfect example, right? I mean, seriously, they put Dylan Mulvaney on the can, and what are they down twenty one percent or something like that? I mean, it's a lot, more than, a lot more than that. I mean, that right there is what needs to happen. It's like, okay, you're going to push this agenda. We will no longer buy your product, and I I truly believe that. If uh, they're going to take that stance, then, yeah, people should uh, sort of be like, okay, then I'm not going to buy I'm not gonna buy Bud Light from now on. It's interesting because, it, you know, there's the market doing its job, right? Like, we don't want this. We're not buying it, right? So it's like you can't sell me something I don't want. Yeah. But now in politics, like, you can vote, but only so often. And and then there's the whole deceptive Thing that happens like you not what you see is not what you get you know a lot of times with politics at least that's my impression of politicians it's like hey <laughs> your this. impression is spot on <laughs> you know and it's like okay so you know that sucks so here we are again and it's like a constant bait and switch and the, 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 for me the scary stuff is that they're trying to legislate things that are completely at odds with common sense in my views, you know, like I don't know how much of it's just the sources of information I'm following, but it it just seems like things are getting pushed in a way that would have been completely unbelievable to like my grandparents. <laughs> they would be yeah. like, "What? What are you talking about? That doesn't happen." You know, like that's not that's fiction. And now here we are. You know. Yep. I mean, I know I mean, you don't think much about you know how propaganda works, but we're, I mean, it's it's legal for the U.S. to to implement propaganda against its own citizens, you know? And then since since the Patriot Act, it's legal to arrest people and detain them under the pretenses of terror. So that all they have to do is just adjust what that means, and they're constantly pushing it in that direction. So I don't know where this is going and if it's just part of the way, you know, societies cycle. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's interesting to see. I feel like it's shaking out now. And it's not, it's like, things grow at different paces. So these processes unfold over decades maybe, you know, and it feels like it's coming to a head, it's coming to a head, but it's a really slow, slow ramp to boiling, you know what I mean? It's not like suddenly, like you couldn't get to today without having yesterday first, that you know, it leads up to a point, right? So I don't know when it will actually create a cataclysmic shift where people are like, ah, enough, you know, and like, and everybody's sort of, it's clear where the line is. And some on this side, some on that side, but um, it feels like it's kind of sifting out that way, little by little. Yeah. You know, regionally, in the media, everywhere. Like, you know, pockets of people who kind of agree on stuff. Enough things to be like, okay, this is my place. You know, this is this is how I, th I feel. 
and I don't know how it ends. You know, nobody does really. But uh, no. it's pretty. It's it's pretty strange time. It's different than. I think it's a different kind of time than anything else in history because the communication model is so different. Oh, so immediate. Yeah. Right? I mean, all these types of things used to happen in different ways. And, you know, there are revolutions and changes of policy, all that stuff. But now it's amplified and immediate everywhere. So yeah. that's new. I mean, the whole acceleration of things is, is something that um, probably would have surprised, you know, earlier generations a lot. Maybe. Well, I don't think that human beings are meant to take in this amount of information and try and process it all at once on a daily basis. I don't, I truly don't think that. And I think that's part of the problem. There's so much information just being thrown at us, whether it's true or false. And we're sitting here trying to disseminate what is real and what is not. And eventually that does take a toll. Right. And I, I don't think we human beings have the bandwidth to take that on, but we are on a daily basis through, this device, you right. know, we our phones. We yeah, we, we choose to get that take that on. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You want to go into AI? Is that where you're heading with this? Oh, I have. That's <laughs> another thing about Firecracker Farm. Yeah. That relates directly. I know my days as a viable developer are limited, mm. and it becomes more and more apparent with each new introduction of a tool that facilitates more or less some mm. aspect of things that I do. Mm. And I think oh the, yeah. the differentiating component is going to be, it's going to sound super woo-woo and hand-wavy, but I think that the differentiating, differentiating element between tasks that a machine can do and orchestrate and tasks that a human being can do are going to be the ability to have empathy and to really get at the emotional content of why and what. You know, like you were talking about the rapport you have with people, why do you, that you care about the outcome for them, that you care about it, you know, what you're doing, the service you're rendering. A machine's never going to really care. They're going to have a, a scale against which they're going to perform and say, okay, I'm hitting the, the marker, but that will always be devoid of any sort of empathy or connection. Perhaps, maybe they'll be able to concoct a, uh, an algorithm for what it is to love somebody and to care, you know, I don't know. But uh, I know that the, the nuts and bolts part of programming and design and, you know, aesthetics... All that stuff can be kind of formulaic. And sooner or later, they'll create tools that will make it very easy to, to execute on those things. And who knows what will happen after that. So I want practical skills that are actually viable. Like I yeah. want to know how to make things, physically make them, like grow food, you know, engage with people, you know, mm-hmm. understand yeah, those types of things are important because I don't know how much longer th- the world we know is going to keep going. It's happened faster. I mean, I'm a sci-fi lover. I like these things. I've been, been exposed to computers since I was a kid. And, um, you know. It's all fun and games until Skynet becomes self-aware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it probably already, to some yeah. extent, it may already be. I mean, the, the types of research that take place that are n- not disclosed – would you give away your competitive advantage if you know? I, mean, I wouldn't. I mean, this is some serious stuff. So I'm, I'm sure that there are there are tools and things that exist out there that are just fully capable of things that are would be horrifying in terms of like the, the implications and what they mean for people who do like information work. Or I mean, the minute they have a networked 
self, you know, directing device with a weapon on it. And I mean, who knows what's going to happen from there? It's not. It's probably going to go downhill quickly from there. Yeah, I'm not. Mm. You don't want to too intelligent that. enough. I'm not intelligent enough to like, you know, delve into that and be like, what I think is going to happen. I just know <clears throat> when I see all these things like chat gpt and all that which everyone's like oh it's great like it does all this stuff for me and this and that i just have a bad feeling in my gut that i'm like i don't think this is right i i well you know i'm not not that not that it's not right i just don't have a good feeling about it and maybe that's just me but i don't have a good feeling about chat gpt or the direction the direction it's headed the way it's just yeah the way ai is headed and how like fast we are evolving in that sector um yeah it's it's like almost like just this year it's been it went from ai i mean i I looked into ai a lot when i was interested in markets because it was a for pattern recognition there are mm -hmm. a lot of different tools and frameworks that exist for analyzing Mm -hmm. stuff and finding things that are not obvious it's like, oh, these two things go together, and this is a result that happens. And that's usually, in, in the case of market, that's valuable. So, you know, those tools were cool to look at and, you know, really interesting research. And you get all these different tools being built, and finally they're kind of stringing them all together, and they're, they're doing stuff with language that's unreal. But the thing is, it's self-referential in the sense that ChatGPT sounds like ChatGPT, sounds like everything else. It sounds like ChatGPT. It's like feeding itself mm-hmm. more of itself. And so it's getting more and more. It's going to sound like a foreign language. Like if I disappeared on some sort of Antarctic adventure for five years and came back, I bet you the language I come back to is going to be very different. And the, the, you know, the, the beliefs and like the kind of messaging, it's going to, it's like idiocracy in the making. That's what I'm trying to get at. Have you ever seen that movie? The documentary? No, idiocracy is like, it's a comedy, but it's pretty <laughs> scary. Well, yeah, okay, I get what you're saying. <laughs> that went over, right over my head. Yeah. It was like way over. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's, we're getting there. And the more we rely on something else to, hey, Grammarly, I see these ads for this thing that make your, your emails sound more intelligent or whatever. It's like, okay, could be handy if you're in a rush. But the more you delegate thinking... Just well, like what you're saying about the social media. Look stuff. at the but the, the Hollywood or the writer strike right now, right? They're they're all on strike. There's no shows being made. It's because I, these writers are, I mean, they're pissed because Chat GPT can literally you can you don't need writers anymore. You're just like, hey, write me a movie about this, and Chat GPT will do it. Right. And so it's you're taking jobs away from all these people as well. And I think that's part of the reason they're on strike. I don't think that's going anywhere. Yeah. Because the profit motive is there, you know. Like, why would I hire somebody when I could just... Well, yeah. You're going to put people out of work. It's it's weird. So, yeah, I, that's that's something I'm thinking about. Um, I don't know how long it'll take. But I think that the... Diff- I mean, the message for me is you better care about the people you interact with. And you better do your best. And to be of value and of service in a way that's not... Um, that Genuinely of yeah. service. Because it's like, you know... Some of it, we can't delegate the real thinking, right? I think. The like vision, the, strategic thinking? Yeah, yeah, the big picture, like, why does it matter to you? Mm-hmm. Like, why are you even doing a thing? You know, like, okay, because I want to do this. And you're like, I don't think that'll be a, something that gets delegated to AI. But the nuts and bolts probably will. No. And so it's like, better be a, a thinker and somebody who engages with people, mm-hmm. right? Otherwise, yeah. you better have some skills, real ones. 
I mean, nobody wants to do the physical stuff anymore. It seems like that's what I'm hearing from people who are in trades and do real stuff. I mean, there's there's a demand um, for services and just a, a limited supply of young people who want to go in there and do a physical job, and um, to the point where it's pretty lucrative. Where as in the past, I mean, in the past it might not have been quite. You could have a, a good living doing certain types of trades and things, and 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 do well, especially if you ran a company or something like that. Now it's like it's crazy how, you know, you could go be in a, uh, do like a desk job. When I say desk, I'm doing information work of some kind, and you know, do all right. But then you're at risk. Yeah. Meanwhile, people still need pipes that work, mm-hmm. electricity to flow, structures to be built, roads to be paved. You know, this stuff takes skill. It's not just like you snap your fingers and there's a house, or you know, or the electricity works. I mean, this skilled labor. In, in trades is important. It's interesting. So something I think about too for the kids, it's like, you know, do I want you to go and do liberal, liberal arts stuff and learn about what a French philosopher said about identity? No, probably not. That's probably not going to help you live in the world we're about to enter. You know, <laughs> like, you know, you might sound cool, but uh, to somebody. Yeah, you want to want to learn a trade. A real a, yeah. a, a series, maybe even a few trades. Yeah. You know, like, and find the one that's best suited for your way of thinking and act and, and, you know what I mean? It's like, be of service. That's something. I mean, I wonder if I, if I evaluate myself by the same criteria, I'm like, am I of service enough? I probably should try a little harder, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so. I don't know. I mean, I have a, I have a lot of different, I have a lot of thoughts around it. I find it fascinating. I find AI, fr- everything from the frameworks to the front side of the analytics side of what they're getting, right? So you think of chat GPT of what it's spitting out, but I'm thinking about, Hey, what it's taking in. It's taking in real specific questions that I'm asking it to spit out. So now it's tagged me in some oh, it's way learning, or form it's learning you hundred yeah, percent that mm-hmm. I think of the backside I didn't ever consider the input factors. Oh, yeah. Right? Like, why, how has Google gotten better and better and better? Right? Because it's learned all, I mean, think of, I mean, and, and I, to be honest, I find it fascinating because a lot of it's psychology and tech, right, mixed together. And so it's learning, it's learning behaviors, it's learning everything from, from times, right? Like when, when I leave here uh, at five-ish, during the day, like my phone pops up and says, hey, you usually listen to this on your way home because <laughs> it knows that I'm about to head home and it knows what I oh, yeah. tend to listen to, right? So it's taking in my behaviors, my patterns, sure. but it's also taking in at a macro level behaviors and patterns and geography, like where where in the country you're from. You know, it's taking in all that stuff so it's going to get better and better with machine learning right and if you use gmail use gmail as well i do so it knows everything you've bought that had a receipt sent to you Mm -hmm. it read every email that you ever sent Mm -hmm. i mean i remember when i first signed up for gmail and this is like i think 2005 or six when it first became available to everybody and the user agreement was really not as long as it is now and it was completely apparent that they were going to read, not they, no person would read. Yeah, yeah. Every, It'd just be anonymized. It would be read. Yeah. Same thing. Everything you stuck in that spreadsheet, that was the impression I had reading this thing. I'm not a lawyer, but I read it and I was like, 
yeah. kind of I sat on it for a day and I was like, fuck it. 100%. And, you know, it's like that explains a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you know? I, I see a lot of good, though. I mean, one, it's I, I don't think you're stopping this train, right? Yeah. And so there is a lot of implications for good, I think. Two, that you can use with it now. The the like the stuff that I the struggle that I have really big security, right? People like making sure people understand what it's taking in of theirs and that they agree to that because there's a lot of users agree like you just check a box and then you click next, right? But do do they really understand what their what that app or that service is taking in. Well, clearly most people don't when they were surprised. Remember the Facebook scandal? They're like, oh, they do what with your information? Like, what do you think they've been doing? Mm-hmm. Like, you think they're just going to give it to you? Like, yeah. of course they're selling you. Yeah. Like you, it, it, Just the idea that people were surprised by that kind of made me realize the disconnect between somebody who's, if you're steeped in tech, you, you kind of, mm-hmm. it's just part of the thing. You realize that's how it works. And then, you know, that, but if you just, we're acquainted with tech through iPhones and just getting involved. And it doesn't, there's no reason to read that thing. Mm-hmm. Just, it's just part of setting it up. You know, you don't mm-hmm. think about it. So yeah. it, it was sort of an eye opener for me to, to that, like the big uh, uproar that happened. Remember that? It was, a, it was, a, it's a been a long time now, but um, there was an uproar about, you know, privacy and this and mm-hmm. that. And then they enacted all these rules about data privacy and stuff. Which, but could it be that the politicians really didn't know? <laughs> or they just have to act surprised and indignant and like just go read the Twitter file files that Elon right? released. They know stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I, I we could have a whole other podcast on that. Yeah. Right. Like, and we probably should. I, I'm down. But um, get somebody way more qualified than me to discuss it, though. No, I, man, I I like you know everyday people and and sh- and especially like how how you think about things. Like you have some doctor at MIT or something that that comes in and explains a bunch of stuff a lot of times they don't they can't simplify it down to just layman's terms right right and understanding and understanding at high levels um but it, it for for our users sake how can they get a hold of some of uh your products how can oh that's easy firecracker firecracker.farm <laughs> that's all you need to know that's what. What'd you say on the commercial? You said uh, firecracker dot farm. Don't bother me. Oh, you were <laughs> next off. T- next yeah. time. Go to. I like that. That was my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. I like uh, that. Yeah, firecracker dot farms. Yeah. Yep. That's where you can oh, singular farm farm. Yep. Sorry. That's okay. But and I just somebody types that in I on don't know Instagram. Ultra hot peppers. Ultra hot peppers. Yeah. yeah. Firecracker so. farm on Instagram, I think, belongs to a horse farm in Colorado. So if you're getting requests for hot peppers, and just send them my way, please. And somebody, somebody <laughs> did call me about a horse, and I sent them to you. So I'm not kidding. <laughs> my phone rang. Like, do you have any? It's like, what are you talking about? And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. That's hilarious. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. So uh, Firecracker Farm. Yeah. And then Ultra Hot Peppers on Instagram, Instagram yeah. is where they can uh, find you and get your product. And I can go ahead and vouch right now that uh, you will not be disappointed. It is. Thank you. Some of the best salt that are just seasoning that I've put on. I put it on everything. You can put it in drinks, coffee, steak, ch- I mean, anything. Turns out, yeah, the folks are putting it in coffee. Yep. I hadn't even tried that. And, like, one of my friends was telling me, oh, you got to put it in your coffee. I was like, I don't know. And then, you know, some 
very official coffee folks decided to do that. And then it's like, okay, that's cool. That led to some interest. It was yeah. pro- really cool. Um, that says a lot about the product that it can be used on pretty much everything. Yeah, I'd always say, oh, everything's better with hot salt. And that's not just my pitch. I'm just saying everything's better with hot salt. Just don't get it on your fingers and then into your eyes. Yeah. It's really easy to make that mistake with hot pepper. Capsaicin's not water soluble. So you're just washing your hands is not going to give you a lot of soap, oily stuff will pull it. Ooh. Yeah. I've had a lot of mishaps in <laughs> testing. <laughs> Dumb stuff. But yeah. Awesome, brother. Well, awesome. I appreciate you coming down here and being on. And, uh, dude, it was a great conversation. Thank you. I yeah. was scared. I know we went on some tangents, but those are good tangents to go on. Yeah. Uh, awesome. So, yeah. Cool. Thanks so much. Thank you. Out. Out. Right on. Sorry, man. I had to cut that short. I got. No, that's yeah, all good. That was all over the map. That was all over the map. Yeah. No, that line.